to Fantastic History. I'm Sarah. And I'm Clay. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. So this episode releases on Valentine's Day. Yeah. It may surprise a lot of people to know that I love Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. I know I don't really seem like the type, but I am super into it. (laughs) Um, I want to mark the occasion today by doing an episode about the person from history I love more than all others, whom I have literally dreamed of for years, who I've written about and whose name I've doodled in notebooks. My forever girl, Marilyn Monroe. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. My sweetheart. Um, If you've ever met me at any point in my life, you know that I am deeply, madly in love with Marilyn. Um, a few episodes back, I mentioned taking a creative writing class in high school and every single assignment I turned in that year, like every single one was about Marilyn in some way, shape or form. <laughs> so I know Dr. Everson was like, this year cannot end fast enough. I've had it. Like, I, I know way more about Marilyn Monroe than I ever wanted to. Um, but this is this is forever for me. You know, she's the one. Now, I can't imagine there's anybody who doesn't know exactly who she is. Uh, she's basically the most famous actress of all time. I think it would be fair to say. Yeah, she's up there with the classics, especially the classics who were cut short, mm. like your James Dean. Right. And, uh, well, those are the only two that come to mind right now. <laughs> anybody who's on that Boulevard of Broken Dreams poster, probably. Yeah. But um, I'd, I'd say of, of any actress specifically, there's probably not one who is more well known. Even if like you haven't seen her movies, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, so with that being the case, like there's thousands of books out there about her. Tons of podcasts and documentaries and things like that. So pretty much the last thing anybody needs is me throwing my hat into the ring as a Maryland biographer. Um, so I'm not planning to share her life story with you today. Like, frankly, with the depth of my knowledge on Marilyn, that would probably take a minimum of 10 episodes and nobody wants that. And <laughs> that would be a long one. It would be just, it would be too much. Um, so no, in the spirit of Valentine's Day and little baby Cupid, I'm going to tell you about the thing in Marilyn's life that she was proudest of and something that people seem to have pretty much forgotten. Um, which is Marilyn Monroe Productions. Okay. It was only the second woman-owned production company in Hollywood history, with the first being started by Mary Pickford during the silent era. Wow. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure this goes without saying, um, but Marilyn was objectified and commodified throughout her entire life and continues to be so more than 60 years after her death. Um, Given that and what we know about how movie studios have historically treated women, it's really no surprise at all that Daryl F. Zanuck, who is the head of Fox Studios at the time, treated her just as horribly as you'd expect. Um, In 1953, she actually wrote a proto-Me Too article for Motion Picture Magazine called Wolves I Have Known. There were several downright horrific stories contained in the article, but there's one in particular I'd like to read to you with regards to her treatment by higher ups in the industry. Okay. And I don't just, if you're kind of like, Ooh, I don't know, this doesn't necessarily need a trigger warning. Cause keep in mind, she's writing this in 1953. So she doesn't come out and like nothing is said outright. So if you're worried, I'm going to say something 
that's going to kind of ick you out. It It's more vague than it would be now. Okay. So just to, okay, here we go. Girls in every walk of life have to take great care that they don't find themselves just another scalp on some man's belt. But in Hollywood, we have to work overtime to outwit the wolves. That's because wolves of all varieties come from far and near to snare the little red riding hoods of the movies. Once you're fairly well established as a film actress, it's open season on you. I thought it was bad enough when I was just a little girl on the outside looking into the studio gates, but that, I've learned since, was easy by comparison. Then a little bit later on in the article, she goes on to say, Then there are the Hollywood parties where carefree wolves think they can have a howl. If you can get through one of them without having to put some too ardent swain in his place, you're lucky. A director famous for his roving eye picked on me one night at a party, and he couldn't believe I was in earnest when I gave him the brush. He followed me upstairs when I went to get my wrap and trapped me when he pulled the door shut on my foot. Mm. I managed to get loose and ran into another room. Shut out, he pounded on the door and pleaded that he just wanted to talk with me. I found a magazine and sat quietly reading behind the locked door while he roared. After a while, he left. Later, when I went back downstairs, I saw another fellow bop him on the nose for flirting with his wife. And you know, it's a funny thing. I've met the fellow several times since then, and he told me he respects me for not letting him get fresh. Wow. What a complete piece of shit do you have to be? Yeah. Really? Mm. Yeah. So, <laughs> to further set the scene for you, at the same time of this article, um, she had already featured in about 20 movies, including her breakout role in the Oscar-winning movie All About Eve in 1950. Um, but most everything else she's been in up to that point, like in 1953, was goofy and forgettable. Like, I've, I've seen a good bit of it. Oh, my. <laughs> um <laughs> It's also worth mentioning that during the same year, again, 1953, one of her all-time best-known movies came out, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, mm, featuring yeah. her iconic song, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Now, while this was obviously a huge moment in her career, I mention it because she did not get top billing in this movie. She was second to Jane Russell. And Marilyn actually had this great quote about it. It was something along the lines of, I may not be the star, but I am the blonde. <laughs> well, I mentioned that because it's another good illustration of the fact that she's being treated worse than garbage by the studio and Hollywood yeah. executives on the whole. Like she's mostly getting bottom of the barrel parts, despite how incredibly famous she already was. And she was tired of it. And, of course, she's not even being paid anywhere close to what she was worth. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, once again, illustrates this point perfectly. So Jane Russell was top billed, sure. Um, but there's nobody in their right mind who would argue against Marilyn being the draw in that movie. Yet Marilyn was paid $18,000 for the movie, while Jane made 100000 over five times more than Marilyn. Wow. Yeah. So let me let me ask you something. So even before you and I met, were you familiar with Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, name one of Jane Russell's songs from the movie. Oh, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Okay. So you see my point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, 
And to be clear, in case it's not, I'm not saying that Jane Russell didn't deserve that money or that she shouldn't have been top billed because she put in an absolutely killer performance. Like Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is my absolute favorite of all of Marilyn's movies and it wouldn't be anywhere near as good with anyone else playing Dorothy. So this is nothing against Jane Russell at all. I'm strictly talking about the way Marilyn was being taken advantage of because she'd only been in the industry for a few years and because she was so often relegated to the dumb blonde role that people constantly underestimated her in her actual life. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So then the following year, 1954, it was an extremely formative one in both her career and her personal life. So she married and divorced Joe DiMaggio She did a USO show in Korea and she had two movies come out that year, which were two of the worst movies I have ever personally seen. Uh Uh-oh. River of No Return and There's No Business Like Show Business. Though she disliked both of those movies, it seems like Marilyn hated River of No Return the most and was quoted as saying, I think I deserve a better deal than a grade Z cowboy movie in which the acting finished second to the scenery. Ouch. Uh-huh. Grade she, Z. <laughs> grade Z. She's giving it to him. So by this point, she'd been stuck in the same contract since 1950 and had made a personal enemy of Daryl Zanuck, who I mentioned earlier. He thought any movie she was in would be a huge failure if she wasn't in a pinup sort of role. He was basically the dumbest human alive because she was listed as one of the top 10 money makers in both 1953 and 1954. And again, the two 1954 movies sucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> she was putting meat in seats. People would watch anything just to see her. And that's still true today as evidenced by the fact that I've sat through all 50,000 hours of no business like show business. It is horrible, and it takes a lifetime to watch. Oh, man. Just the worst. My dad and I watched it together, and like midway through, we were looking at each other like, who's going to say it first? <laughs> like, who's going to quit? Like, I can't take this. Um. So in 1954, so the same year, you know, 1953, 1954, she's a top 10 moneymaker. Then the same year, she was also named by Photoplay as the most popular female star in the country. Uh, There's no denying she was a hot ticket and she was fed up to hell and back with the studio treatment around the same time of the photo play announcement. Fox tried to like kind of calm her down. They promised her a new contract and a $100,000 bonus as well as a starring role in a little movie based on a hit Broadway show called the seven year itch. No. Yeah. So this was by far the most iconic role of her life. When most people think of Marilyn Monroe, they think of her in a white halter dress standing over a subway grate, right? Yep. That is from Seven Year Itch. It was a huge role, but it was still a cheesecake pinup role. And do you know what her character's name is in that movie? I don't remember. The Girl. Oh, The Girl. The character doesn't even have a name. She is listed in the credits as The Girl. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. To top it all off, the studio decided not to pay her that bonus after all. For no reason. Oh, good. Yeah, cool. Marilyn was tired of being overworked and underpaid and of being beholden to the sort of men who thought that she would sleep with them if they offered to buy her a Cadillac, which is another horrifying anecdote from her Motion Picture Magazine article. It was at that point, at the dawn of 1955, that she moved to New York City and joined the famous Actors Studio, 
led by Lee and Paula Strasberg. To call Lee Strasberg an absolute legend would be the greatest disservice I could possibly do. He invented method acting. Mm -hmm. So getting to work with him was an unimaginable honor for any actor. Uh, I don't think any acting coach has ever been more revered than he was. In fact, uh, Marilyn grew so close to the Strasbergs that at the time of her death seven years later, she left them her entire estate. And it's actually one of their grandchildren who earns all her royalties to this day. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, simultaneously, she was working with one of her very best friends, famed photographer Milton Green, to set up her own production company. This dealt a crushing blow to the major Hollywood studios and essentially changed how the movie business was run from then on. On January 7th, 1955, Marilyn and Milton held a press conference at her lawyer's house announcing the existence of Marilyn Monroe Productions. Marilyn, as company president, owned 51% of the company while Milton owned the other 49%. She was immediately sued by 20th Century Fox for breach of contract, although they were the ones who had broken their contract by never paying her the bonus. Ah. Things got ugly and they battled back and forth in court for over a year before Marilyn emerged triumphant. Good for her. Uh, Hell yeah. She entered into a new contract with Fox that gave her total creative control over the project she would take on going forward. They promised her $100,000 per movie for her next four movies, which she was obligated to make over the next seven years. So she had plenty of time. Uh, They paid her a crap ton of money for past earnings that she had never been paid. And she would also be allowed to do one movie per year with Marilyn Monroe Productions. So with her own studio completely in control. Okay. Now, Elizabeth Winder, who wrote a book called Marilyn in Manhattan, um, described her victory here as such. That was her way of achieving creative freedom. The studio owned her and she knew that she couldn't remain in that system, but she also didn't want to give up acting. This was her way to be able to be the type of actress she knew she could be and always wanted to be. There wasn't really a way for her to do it in a smaller way. She was basically powerless before. They'd say, take this role, and she'd be stuck. Being able to do all that was a complete switch. She loved acting, she loved her work, and she wanted to be able to take on roles and work in a way that wasn't demeaning and degrading. She just wanted to live her life. Seems pretty reasonable to me. You would think, right? So this was a huge blow to the studio system as a whole because the most powerful studio of all, Fox, had just lost the biggest star they would ever have. And not only that, other actors realized they could do the exact same thing. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. We're at a point today where just about every A-list actor has their own production company, and that started with Marilyn Monroe Productions. Wow. Oh, yeah. After all that, Marilyn would go on to make just two movies with MMP before her deteriorating relationship with Milton Green and the continued intrusiveness of her then-husband Arthur Miller took the whole company under. But those two movies that they made are both fantastic. I'd recommend them to anyone. Uh, Bus Stop in 1956 and The Prince and the Showgirl in 1957. Marilyn starred alongside none other than Sir Lawrence Olivier in the titular roles of The Prince and the Showgirl. And that was a role for which she actually won several awards, including the French equivalent of an Oscar. 
She made only three more movies between the dissolution of Marilyn Monroe Productions in 1957 and her murder in the summer of 1962. The incomparably hilarious and perfect Some Like It Hot in 1959. Love it. Love it. It is consistently rated the number one comedy of all time for good reason. Yeah. It has the best ending, bar none, of any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it's just a perfect little little movie. It's so good. Yeah. Um. Then there was Let's Make Love in 1960 and The Misfits in 1961. Uh, which was written specifically for her by Arthur Miller and which also features the final performance of silver screen icon, Clark Gable. He died, I believe five days after they wrapped. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. His wife actually blamed Marilyn for his death. Cause she sounds like a real asshole. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, he, you know, lasted a week or so afterwards and she only lived for, you know, another year. Wow. Yep. So it was the last movie for both of them. Now, all three of those movies, even though they were studio run, were projects that she chose to do and for which she had script supervision and director approval. So she won. That's inc- that's pretty, uh, that, that's a big 180. Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for a woman to have that much power over Fox Studios in the 1950s and 60s, like, are you guys hearing me right now? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I want to I wanna end by just kind of putting some things out there that I would like for everyone to know. Because most people have a very narrow view on who she was. Marilyn Monroe was a voracious reader and an achingly talented poet. She wrote beautiful poetry. She was brilliant and hilarious and kind. She was a staunch supporter of the civil rights movement and the LGBTQ plus community. She loved animals and James Joyce and her favorite snack was hot dogs. (laughs) She ran her own freaking production company when she wasn't getting the respect she deserved. And she inspired everybody from Paul Newman to Reese Witherspoon to do the same. She was so much more than anyone has ever given her credit for than people will ever give her credit for. It is still happening um, with movies and books like Blonde. It's horrific. That is not who she was stop commodifying her just let her freaking rest just be kind like what the hell are we talking about every single part of her is so easy to love and i will love her with my whole heart for my whole life happy valentine's day marilyn oh that was great honey thank you so much it makes me feel very happy to talk about her separate from you know the trauma, the crazy childhood, separate from like her romantic life, separate from her, you know, pinup status. Just she was so much smarter than anybody has ever given her credit for. She, I mean, business savvy, book smart, like a very intelligent person. And another thing I actually learned for the first time while doing this research Now, I knew that the voice she does in movies was not her natural speaking voice. Nobody really talks like this. (laughs) But the reason that she spoke that way was to overcome her stutter. Really? Yes. And I had never heard that before. But, you know, of course, as soon as she starts, she moves on from doing modeling to doing acting. 
she got with the voice coach who just kind of you you learn to speak more with your breath and your vocal cords and that helps you not to stutter wow isn't that wild yeah there and that's why you can't even find like she doesn't only do the voice in movies but like in interviews anytime you really hear her speak into a microphone she talks like that because she's trying not to stutter okay it's just interesting just another another layer she wasn't trying to be sexy she was trying to speak quote-unquote normally well that that does make me wonder was that voice already associated with 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 sexy like how, how a sexy woman would talk or did that come after Marilyn? That's a great question. I mean, I know what my opinion is, but that is very much just an opinion <laughs> and I am extremely biased. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Maybe someone out there can give us some insight on that. Yeah, if you know the history of voices, get in touch. <laughs> well, guys, thanks for checking us out, giving us a little bit of your time today and happy Valentine's Day. Um, whether you you know, celebrate it or not, love something or someone today a little bit extra. That's all I ask. I, I think you should choose Marilyn personally if you don't already have someone in mind, but that's your business. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed learning more about her today. You heard some stuff about her. You know, I hope that you didn't already know. And that's kind of piqued your interest to look more into her life because it was very interesting, very interesting person. Um, if you enjoyed the story, if you like the way that we tell our stories, take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, you can also check us out on Instagram and Twitter, Fantastic HPod on both of those. And yes, I will be posting some of my favorite Maryland picks this week with some extra hearts. <laughs> uh, feel free to shoot us an email at fantastichistorypod at gmail.com if you have any comments or requests, like telling me you want me to talk more about Maryland, uh, which won't be an issue at all. Until next time. Mm-hmm.